George. Joe. We're live. How's it going, man? I am excellent. How are you? I'm excited about tonight's show. I am too, but first of all, I'd like to go ahead and tell everybody that they are listening to the Romero Pictures Indie Brigade podcast with your host, George C. Romero and Joe Ridgely. Wow. <laughs> Fuck you, you, Joe. You can teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah, it only takes several weeks. <laughs> Man, how about that? That that works. That works. So yeah. for those that are listening, we do have Jan Birch on tonight and Michael Mandeville. And George, you got uh, something to talk about real fast before we get Jan on. That's kind of near and dear to you. Well, I certainly do. Um, you know, I think what I'm really excited about kind of pushing here in the beginning of the show tonight is uh, the Scare Tactical line uh, that we've put up on our merch store. Uh, Scare Tactical uh, features its designs all by our friend and uh author of The Devil is Into Details here at the Romero Pictures Indie Brigade, um, Ian Steyer. Scare Tactical is a line of clothing that we, uh, well, and coffee mugs that we're launching uh, to try to raise some money to get all of the um, legalities and all the paperwork and everything off the ground for the Veterans Compound. Joe's putting up some pictures of some pretty cool stuff we've got. We've got Scare Tactical, Fuck Your Reboots t-shirts. We've got If I Die, Film It. These are all messages that we feel are important to the Indie Brigade and the punk rock spirit of everything that we're trying to promote here. Uh, and so if you want to get some cool-ass merch with some cool-ass messaging and uh, help us, you know, help vets, uh, that would be great. So you can do that over at RomeroPictures.com forward slash merch. Um, and check it all out. Everything you buy, a portion of everything that you buy goes directly into an account uh, to help us help veterans through the veterans compound and get that thing off the ground. So that's the big thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, the other thing is we should probably break down all the shows that we've got. I know you have a graphic of that really quickly. Uh, of course I do. These are all of the arms of the uh, Romero Pictures Indie Brigade at this point. Films used to be dangerous. Everybody remember that. We've got the Indie Brigade, which you are watching and or listening to now. Uh, we've got the Drone Cav uh, with probably the best drone guy you could ever ask to learn things from, Terry Gerald. Uh, he's phenomenal at what he does. Uh, he's a regional expert for all of the official flight stuff. Um, and organizations that I don't know enough about to speak about, so I'm going to stay quiet there, but learn everything you can from this guy because he's a drone genius. We've got the Nasty Nation with Chuck Nasty, which is a, a dear friend of mine, uh, and a great audio podcast for you to listen to. Uh, the Devil is Into Detail with Ian Steyer, the artist behind Scare Tactical and all of the new logos and look and feel of the Romero Pictures uh, Indie Brigade brand. Uh, and then finally, we've got Weird Wonderings with the Wagner Wiles with Lance and Samantha Wagner. We love Lance and Samantha. They are an amazing couple. And uh, the way they watch movies together as a married couple is interesting, to say the least. So I hope you tune in and watch that. And as always, in the middle there, we had the good old Blame Joe. This is a message that's bigger than everything. It's bigger than the brigade. It's bigger than all of us. This message needs to spread globally. Blame Joe. If something goes wrong at work, there you go. Take your coffee mug. Blame Joe. You didn't do your homework on time. It's not your fault. Blame Joe. <laughs> How's that? That, that, that was spectacular. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I worked on it for a really, really long time. <laughs> and speaking of which, we're actually on time right now for once, which is what? impressive for us. 
That must be some good producing. Yeah, we got to get the name of that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm going to do now is I am going to bring, actually, you're going to introduce Jan. And then uh, after you do that, I'm going to dip out for a couple of minutes. Great. Jan, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Just have good. some water. Good. Everybody meet Jan Birch. Uh, Jan Birch is a phenomenal friend of the brigade. Uh, he's been knocking around this industry for a minute, and he's got some wonderful experience. But uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself, actually, more because nobody can introduce themselves better than themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I, uh, I'm Jan Birch. I'm uh, mostly known for uh, being the Stairmaster and people under the stairs. I actually had the very fortunate uh, uh, opportunity to work with Roger Corman on my first feature film, Slumber Party Massacre 3. Uh, I've done about 35 to 40 films since, and uh, including TV like Charmed, the Kane, the head of the Warlocks. And uh, I'm enjoying life every second of the way. So, Well, welcome to the brigade, man. Thank you so much. And, and uh, kudos to you and for your father. Thank you very much. That means a lot to me. Uh, we talked a little bit before the show, so I'm kind of excited to just jump right in. Um, I think probably why don't we start out with uh, Agramon's Gate? Um, what's, yeah. So you 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 said you've been doing a lot of podcasts to push this. Uh, tell us tell us about it. Tell us what's going on and and what to look out for and and anything you want us to know about. Agramon's Gate is my third film with uh, Holly Wallen, which is uh, which is uh, a director friend of mine that, that we, we became really close. Uh, he actually, we did a couple of movies. They were not horror. We, we really, really uh, bonded as a, as a team uh, of, you know, director, actor thing. And so he, he, got, he created this horror story, sci-fi horror, and he called me and said, I'm sending you a script. This is you. This is it. So uh, I read the script and I said to him immediately, this is, could be the sleepy hit of the year. I said, you, you know what you got here. You got a supernatural thriller with old style Hitchcock scares. It's not gory. It's not bloody, but it scares the shit out of me. <laughs> and I said, uh, I assume you want me to play Carter Stan, who's now, you know, possessed by Agamon. And, and he's like, yeah, I wrote it for you. Um, I had a blast, as you can see on that poster, playing that character. Uh, somehow, over the years, I was, you know, cast with, like I said, Roger Corman, and then in my next film after Roger Corman was People on the Stairs with Wes Craven, and then I worked with Chuck Russell on on uh, Blessed Child. It's like somehow, you know, uh, uh, the horror directors really appeal. I appeal to them; they appeal to me, and and uh, I have some kind of a you know, uh, second dial when it comes to these characters, I, I just fly right in. I don't know if it's, you know, the dark side we all have, but, but, uh, I had so much fun on the set. Lorraine Landon is fantastic as my wife, which, uh, you know, I, I, I can't tell you too much right now, but she's getting into major trouble because of me. I, you know, I'm shot by my son way past when, and then fast forward. And I come back as, you know, as you can see probably. And, yeah. uh, the script is fantastic. The hype is is extraordinary. I'm I'm very happily surprised about the hype. Uh, everybody's calling me about this premiere. Um, I mean, studios are contacting me about having special seats on the on the red carpet, wow. uh, even if it's already picked up. They're like, yeah. you know, somebody, no names mentioned, but Universal called me and one of, one of my friends at Universal said, I want to go to that red carpet. I'm like, it already has distribution. He said, 
that's not where I want to go. I just hear that this is very a very well done film, and I I, I love to see you in it. So I'm like, hey, so uh, yeah. So next Friday, February seventh, we have a red carpet premiere with with tons of invited people, uh, including studio heads and 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 a lot of press. And uh, midnight releasing uh, was actually scheduling for a four to fifteen market theatrical. Uh, in the end. Somehow with the, I'm not going to bag on anybody, but somehow with the on-demand being first tier, second tier, third tier, they have a system now. Yeah. Uh, they decided to give up, give up most of the market. So we we opening up in LA and then they're just going to see what happens and then blow it out, uh, hopefully. And if not, it's on VOD in all markets on February 11th. Okay. So they're they're gonna they actually decided to not go with uh, the four to fifteen markets and just yeah. in LA yeah uh, and then they're just gonna ride on the press and marketing of that that's pretty uh, that's pretty bold man that's pretty awesome yeah no it is bold uh, I was you know it's obviously, obviously theatrical is different you always want to see and in my opinion I'm from the old school you want to see a movie in a the theater it, it 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 it's a difference to me I mean. The millenniums might not think so. They like to stream things on a little phone. But you know what? Seeing a movie on a phone versus a freaking 70 by 80 screen, it's not, It's it, you can't compare. So, Listen, uh, one of my favorite things to do in LA is to go to the Arrow, man, and watch the old prints and everything. Oh, yeah. You, but you on, the, on film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, used to, I used to live near there, so that's that was the one I went to. But there's a, bun- there's a bunch of places in LA where you can still go do that. And that was, oh, yeah. Yeah. That was my favorite thing to do. Uh, was to just go and watch old prints, actual film prints of films. It was super cool. No, I, I actually miss on set when they say when they when they say check the gate. I miss yeah. that a lot. They don't say that anymore. I'm like, no. but you know, they say move on, moving on. I'm like, what about the fucking gate? What happened to the gate? <laughs> I, sometimes when I'm on set, I'll still say check the gate just to get those looks, just to get those those stares yeah. that you get from these kids. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, like now, nowadays they've all caught on, so they know what it means. And it's like kind of telling it, it's like a director's version of like a dad joke at this point, you know? It's like, uh, yeah, no, it's fun. Even Tom Hanks used it at the, at the Golden Globes. Yeah, yeah, saggy boards, whatever it was, one of those, he used it. There's, there's something, there's something to it though. There's something to shooting on it. There's something to watching it. And you're right. There's something to the theater experience and the, and the community experience of experiencing a movie together and, and being part of that sort of how it feels you know and yeah yeah and you know you know what the the, the, the ironic thing is that these four to 15 markets was gonna they they were not going to the 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 vod release was not changed they were going to release it at the same time like the 7th and the 11th no matter what so yeah. it's kind of like you get one of those 9.99 on cable uh it's the same at same time as in the theaters. I mean, they do that now. Like, yeah. they, like basically every single movie has that now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah. Soderbergh started that model years ago with a movie called Bubble. It was the yeah, first. Yeah. Yeah. I don't movie. know if I agreed on it because I mean, then people just stay home. But you know, it yeah. is what it is. They they do that even with big movies now, even studio movies. They like you can get it on cable the same day as in the theaters. It's like I don't really see that, but hey. Just gonna mm-hmm. go with the flow, man. It's just kind of where we are now as yeah. a as a people and in time. And uh, on a lot of levels, it sucks, but I think it's gonna come back. But you know, it's interesting. It's an and this is an interesting sort of transition point for me because you you've got uh, right uh, on the heels of this. Not long from now, you've got another big film called Sky Sharks coming out, 
Ed, that you were a part of. And um, you've been in the indie scene for a long time, um, like a lot of us uh, here in the brigade who, uh, you know, try to offer up our, our knowledge and our background and our experience. Uh, you've been doing the indie thing for so long and you've, you've been a part of so many iconic m movies and roles and, and you've done so much to develop your fan base. But what I'm interested in knowing is, you know, what do you think besides obviously the theater experience and the screen and the small screens in our pockets, what do you think, you know, what do you think of where it's, where it's gone? What are the biggest things you've seen change since you started doing this with regard to indie? And now sky sharks is, is probably one of these movies where you, you'd never even probably saw another actor in a scene. It was probably all green screen. That's gotta be a whole crazy experience. Yeah, it is. I mean, to, to go, it, this is a couple of two-sided questions. So let's go it back is. to like the, yeah, let's go back to the indie thing. The difference I see with the indie now is the indie then was indie then still you know as still paid at least you know paid everybody scale like scale like normal scale and they still had the indie thing now which is good in a way sag gives uh independent film you know filmmakers a, a huge break so but what happens with that is instead of you working with a lot of people you know and other stars usually you the only stars two other stars in it because they get the con if it's an indie indie and they do the lower budget thing they get like one or two people that they pay whatever they they can get them for, and then they 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 you know they go they modified super low but you know that kind of thing for the rest. So that's the main difference because you used to have like the whole pack of your old friends, and we all you know we all yeah hey let's do favored nations. Now what they do is they pay a couple of people money, and then the rest they they do like more local stuff like that. Yeah, that, that's the first that's the that's the first main difference I see. And and it's not a bad thing, but I mean, you know, like SAG went from like the 250 into like what I don't know what they have now, but they they changed their rules a lot, so indie makers can make or can get SAG for much less money, which is great. Don't, yeah. You know, don't take me wrong; I think that's great. At the same time, it really transitions and changes the environment of you as an actor that has some experience and some titles. You used to work with I used to work with Billy Worth and Billy McNamara and all that on at the same time on an indie film. Now it's either one of us and then a bunch of other people that we you know never, never met, really. Yeah. So that's so, got to make it hard to kind of find your footing sometimes and to kind of find your character. I mean, or it's got to. So here's a question: So does that drive you more toward getting to know the people you've never worked with to to find a, a chemistry, or does it drive you more toward the I'm going to go over here and develop my character and I'll be back when it's time to roll cameras? Depends on the role. Sometimes if I'm really, really freaking evil, I don't want anybody around me yeah. because, because uh, I've been there and, and, and for example, when I did uh, shot sucker with Hans Rodionoff, uh, a vampire with AIDS, uh, which is <laughs> twisted subject. It became a trauma movie. Lloyd Kaufman, uh, uh, picked it up. Uh, I, I, as soon as I talked to anybody, I kind of poisoned them because I was so freaking dark took me yeah. two months of throwing up after I finished the movie. And, and, and those kind of parts, you just have to freaking stay in your space and, and, and get the fuck out of everybody's way. But other, other roles would you, you know, not that I have had that many of the friendly kind, uh, <laughs> not by my choice, but you know, it happened. Um, well, hey. I, I, you, 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 you're doing more. Uh, normally I, I like to really get to know the people that I'm working with. Just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's interesting because, you know, 
Uh, does it bother you that you've been kind of associated with the types of roles you get on a regular basis or are you, are you cool with it? Because it seems to me for, as a, as a writer, it seems to me that I prefer writing villains and bad guys. So, you know, uh, I think you can make a stronger, almost a stronger character. Your heroes can only have so many layers, but your villains can go forever, you know? Uh, so how do you, or do you like playing the, the 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 roles you play are you happy with that or would you rather be out there playing you know the white hat cowboy type guy um you know what my passion is acting so uh, if you if you get me something that i can sh sculpt and mold i i that's my life i've been, I've been yeah. acting since i was five years old um so so on that note no i i don't mind being and 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 i have to quote uh, uh christopher walken on this he was he was asked about 25 years ago, do you mind being typecasts? And he took a beat and he said, typecasts. Typecast bought me five homes. You think I'm complaining? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's a, that's exactly that's a wonderful attitude. I, I fucking love that answer, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, wow. that's kind of how I feel. If, if, if God, you know, God bless if they let me keep acting and people keep calling me and booking me, you know, I, I love to do comedy. I'm, I've done some drive comedy. I've done some comedy on TV. I did uh, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine as a, but it was more, you know, as a serious villain, but he was funny, you know, it's yeah. dry comedy. I, I, you know, I, I don't mind doing comedy. My dad did a lot of comedy. Uh, yeah. And, but, you know, whatever, whatever comes, whatever comes to me, I, I'm not, the kind of guy who said, "I now I have to do this. Now I have to do this. I have to stick to horror. I have to do comedy. I have to do drama. I have to do studio films only. Blah blah blah. Anything you know, I love to work. That's what I'm saying. I love I love to work, and 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 if it, if it makes sense, you know, no matter what it is, I like to do it. But you know, the thing is, horror is just like I said. Hey, I started with Roger Corman. I went to Wes Craven, and then I went to Chuck Russell. I'm like, you know, yeah. in between, I had a few other people, and and and. And including Hans Rodionov, and and I'm saying, I don't know. It just happened, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I love the culture. I love the horror fans. The horror fans are the best. And yeah, they are. These, all the conventions we do, horror fans are dedicated. They they're solid. They're honest. They know what they want. They they respect you. They love you. They they don't say, hey, why did you do this stupid thing on Charmed? They say, "Hey, I loved you in Charmed," even if they sure. didn't, because they love you in other things. You right, know? and they support they, you no matter what you do. No matter you know? what I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the greatest thing about about the fans in our community is that they do exactly that. They follow you, and it's like it's almost like if you do something that they might not love, they'll still support you. Kind of like you know, hey man, uh, just awesome work that you're just working. And, yeah, no, exactly. Know, yeah, and it's beautiful, you know, and it's really great to see, it was, especially at conventions and especially at all these other places when you really get to interact with them. It's uh, it's a wonderful experience. I mean, I've seen a lot of that through my life too, you know, and I, you know, born into horror, man, and you live through horror, you know. And, I mean, uh, I, I, yeah, I have a quote from your dad on that one. I sat at a okay. bar once. I don't know what it was. Might be Wisconsin, might be Milwaukee, whatever we were, <laughs> some horror convention. He was sitting at a bar and some people were complaining about the parts they're getting. And I was sitting right by him and I was just like, my ears were going up because he was looking at him like he wanted to say something soon. And he waited very patiently as he always did. Your dad was great that way. And, and, uh, and they finally got quiet and he looked at him and said, you're working. 
That's all he said. And then he <laughs> turned to me and we cheered. I mean, yeah. he didn't even start a conversation. He just fucking shut the fuck up. You're working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got a ton of that kind of barstool wisdom out of that guy over the years. <laughs> I mean, it was just one sentence. That was fucking all ever like like three words, like you are working. And then he just didn't even continue, just turned around and yeah, you know, it, it yeah. was but it was so that was so uh you know profound at the same time as direct yeah hey i you know my version of that story that he told me once uh he had uh when i was very young before uh my parents split we lived in this house that had uh i guess a jeweler owned it beforehand so the top floor was his vault or whatever and my dad turned it into his editing room and he had a big old steam back up there where he cut his films with you know the razor blade and the whole thing and i would go up there and and just kind of watch him and it was like watching this madman and uh and i he turned around to me and he said i'm gonna give you the best advice you'll ever get in life and i said what and i was a little kid and he said cut wide and then he turned <laughs> back around <laughs> and he just kept editing <laughs> and that stuck with me my whole life and it's funny because i can't tell you how many different things in life that applies to and it's the exact same thing that he used to do with everybody yeah a couple of words man that's all you need yeah, that's it. Wisdom. And, uh, that was wisdom. Yeah, he said a lot in very few words quite often. Uh, yeah, very much so. That was pretty amazing about him. Um, yeah. So anyway, let's get on to, uh, before I kind of go down that road here and get a little emotional on you, let's go, let's jump to Sky Sharks. So yes. this is a big deal. This The Sky Sharks is a big deal. It's a big deal. They've been shooting it since 2015, 2014, 2015. It's, uh, it's uh, Nazi zombies on flying sharks it's kind of like walking dead meets uh, sharknado and uh, and when they started this it was actually a crowdfund campaign and they i think they raised like two million dollars on it uh, and they started these are all germans you know germans can overcome anything i don't know how they do it they lost two wars and they still fucking kicking ass in business i mean you know they it, it's just like that and and they say the same with this movie they just you know, they just decide they got a, enough money for most people over here to just finish the film. But no, there has to be perfect perfection. And and they did uh, they they did something that I've never experienced that we previously talked about loosely. Uh, every single actor is working on his own. I mean, I had my wife here, like another actors and stuff, but all the lead actors are are, are working on green screen. And we never talk to each other, but we have phone calls, we have Skype meetings, we have all kinds of things. We have Tony Todd, which is an American general. We have Naomi Grossman, which is a report U.S. reporter. We have Dave Sheridan, who is, I think, an English fighter of some kind. I'm I'm a British MI5 agent in a nice suit and 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 see I all my scenes. I'm laughing now, but see, just for an example, I'm in this studio, right? And it's all it looks the same freaking thing every time they they change they do my hair makeup my clothes and then they they tell me you're in your library i'm like what <laughs> you're in your library with this german accent you're in your library your library look at this there your library i'm like okay i'm in the fucking library so then i do the scene in the library and they're like no you're going for the book i'm like where the fucking where's the book so we we do this we do this whole song and dance and then they's like okay take ten minutes I'll take ten minutes I come back they change my clothes and they said you're in your lounge now you're having a whiskey in your lounge I'm like 
the same fucking studio, man. <laughs> so you're on the green screen. I'm now sitting on a couch, which doesn't exist. It's a it's a plastic chair. And I'm sitting there, and there's like, this is the beautiful leather chair. You're sitting here, and I'm like, okay. So <laughs> it's not just filmmaking. It's like imagination on steroids. Because <laughs> as an actor, they just tell you this is where you're at. and But nothing of that is in there until the movie comes out. So I did like four or five scenes like that. And every time they're like, okay, now you're in. And it's a different thing. And then I, I talked to Tony afterwards. And Tony's like, I'm fucking nuts. What's happening here? I, I was in a TV studio. I was on an airport. He said, I did it all in like three and a half hours. What? I'm like, future filmmaking. And, and, and on a good note, these filmmakers, Mark Fazy, the director, uh, Jazid Benzard, the producer, uh, they they uh, raised a lot of money on 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 crowdfunding. They went to Sony Germany, got it, got some more money. They made they they went to all kinds of people. They shot some stuff. They shot some trailers. You should check out the last teaser trailer online. Two thousand nine. It's like it says Sky Sharks trailer two thousand nineteen. That's the last one. It's like a minute long. There's not really any actors in it. Of all the stars that was in it, they just did like a as a, as a teaser reel. Um, then, so, so everybody shoots by themselves. And, and what they have done is every year they have different people. So that's like, it's taken this time too. So it's like 2014, 15, 16, they shot all the actors. And then since then they've been in post. And the last one I heard was they're supposed to premiere in Texas this March at the SXSW, but then they now pushed it till the summer which I don't know exactly what festival, but I know this much. England, France, and Italy, and uh, uh, Spain already want to buy theatrical with Sony. Germany is Sony. Uh, they're still negotiating US. Uh, they spent another five to seven euro, million euros in post at this time. And uh, they're perfectionists. Wow. That's all I can say. They're like, every time they say we're almost done, they're like, no, the sound is not perfect. See, the thing, this is the disadvantage. The sun's not perfect. A movie. You're in a studio. <laughs> no, it's like a Stanley Kubrick movie. You know, yeah. a movie can never, as you know, no, a movie is never done. It's like a yeah. painting. Yeah. It's a painting or a book or any artistic phenomenon, whatever artistic outlet you do, is never done. You can no. write a poem a hundred million times different ways. Yeah. You can write, you can, you can paint a painting and every day you're like, oh, a little more blue here, a little more yellow here, a little more red, you know, same with movies. Mm -hmm. And Stanley had a little bit of that problem because he was never, <laughs> they let him, they let him stay for four years in post. And, and I think with, with, you know, no judgment or offense, it's just, they wanted also the Germans, they're perfectionists. They like okay. full blown perfectionists. So they just like now, I think come to the point they spend so much time on it that if it's not absolutely perfect, that I want to release it. Yeah. So I'm hoping to, you know, to see it in the summer for sure. Well, it sounds amazing, but so wait, so you didn't do any scenes with any other actors or anything. It was literally just you by yourself. Yeah, no, I had my, my wife was a German actress okay. and my, my Butler was another German actress to have some local people. I, we all work with local people, but all the stars never work together. Wow. Well, I can't wait to see this. It sounds kind of interesting and crazy, and I want to check out that trailer. So, well, listen, we're coming up on our 30 minutes here. So what uh, what kind of stuff do you want to leave some folks with here? Where, what do you want people to follow? What do you want people to go check out? 
Um, if you just want to plug everything, uh, Joel will throw you full screen and you can just tell everybody where to find you and what's going on with you. Well, Agamemnon's Gate, of course, coming up uh, February 11th. Sky Sharks, please check it out. Other movies that, that the same director as Sky Sharks is out now on demand is Eternal Code and Betrayed. Uh, some really good movies. Oh, look at my little dog is right here. <laughs> <laughs> I got full screen. So anyway, uh, Jan Birch page on Instagram. Uh, Instagram is the hippest thing now, so please follow me on that. Uh, Jan Birch on Facebook. Jan Birch on Facebook fan page. Jan Birch on Twitter. And uh, if you you know if you check out IMDb, just click along because the star meter is actually what the movie make it's like the same as the freaking clicks right now with the producers and directors in town so it's important for everyone uh that's not an a that you know that's not tom cruise of course <laughs> <laughs> well Jan, I, i'm I being can't... honest here oh you no, you're absolutely right Listen, I hope you'll join the brigade community and I hope that you'll, uh, you know, we've got a little secret Facebook community where people post up about what they're working on, collaborations and questions and things. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd love it if you'd consider joining and maybe every once in a while when you're bored scrolling through, just maybe throw out some advice to some folks who maybe be, maybe be, maybe be meeting it. Stumbling there over my words. Sorry. Um, anyway, I love to. Awesome. Well, Jan, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show, man. It's been an honor and a pleasure, and I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us on Friday night, for real. I, uh, I appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me, and uh, let's do it again. Like, let's do it right before Skyshore comes out. Absolutely. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Come back I'll and see. In, you, I'll be in touch. Yeah, cool. Hey, thanks, you. buddy. Bye. What an awesome guy. Yeah. I like Jan a lot. Good dude. Very much so. Uh, I was trying to go through the comments and everything. and There's only one I see, J uh, JP. It's UK basketball, man. That's what's up. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I must have. Was that a current one? <laughs> it just popped up. Oh, okay. Gotcha. There it is. <laughs> and there's some kind of mascot on his avatar. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, um, Ron, you're right. Blame Joe. That interview went off without a hitch. Blame Joe. Look at that. It works for good things, too. Wow. Gonna... I would ne never in a million years. Uh, let's see here. Come to... Sean, I didn't need your help this time. No. Right. See, Sean, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Just randomly fucking blame Joe. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will be having Michael Mandeville on momentarily. Uh, I'm not quite sure what happened. I, I think he was trying to actually get some uh, screen captures for me. So you got a couple of minutes to look pretty. Well, first of all, I think I'm going to take this opportunity and let everybody know that they're listening or listening to or watching the Romero Pictures Indie Brigade podcast with your host, George C. Romero and Joe Ridgely. And you've just been listening to me chat with Jan Birch about his upcoming project, Agramon's Gate, uh, another very cool sounding future project called Sky Sharks, and sort of just talking about the indie life uh, of an actor over his amazing career from people under the stairs all the way up through Sky Sharks so far. And he just keeps on going. So I was pretty excited. He's, he seems to be interested in kind of joining the community, maybe helping out, giving some people some guidance, that kind of thing. 
And he's one of those all-around actors that he has done it all. He's done yeah. major motion pictures, and he's done the indie scene. So, mm -hmm. And he's one of those guys that everybody knows, especially if you're a fan, if you're a genre fan. You know him. Um, you, you absolutely know who he is. Uh, we got Dino. Dean. Dino. Thank you, buddy. Oh, sorry, I needed some coffee there. Drinking the Death Wish tonight, Joe, because it's it's been a been a hard it's been a rainy day around here. It's been hard for me to kind of kick in, you know. So I'm I'm drinking the Death Wish coffee tonight. My my wife is trying to make me drink healthier, so she put citrus in my beer. Oh, well, that'll prevent scurvy. Touche. <laughs> 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 Almost ruined the mic, but hey, what the hell? <laughs> well, it wouldn't be Blame the first job. time that mic was ruined. <laughs> All right, Man, uh, let's see. How can I fill this time? How about fuck you, Joe? Oh, is it Tuesday? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should probably let everybody take this to uh, tell everybody that we're not doing a show next Friday. Next Friday, we are not doing a show. Repeat. No show next Friday. But I we'll may do back. one without I'm George. Huh? I may do one without George. Yeah, well, I might go do a bunch of shows without you, too. I might just do shows in my backyard without even a camera. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hey, right. you know what? If they can do a movie where an actor is in a room with nothing, why can't I do a podcast without a camera? Sitting on a plastic chair, which is supposed to be a couch, and have a butler wait on him. Exactly. So... <laughs> It all sounds good to me. Believe it Scotty or not, put some cool news up on on the on the social medias today. Uh, they got a bunch more songs recorded. Yes, they did. Um, so. Hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm messaging Michael. I'm going to put you on full screen. Great. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> well, hi everybody. Here we are, you and me. Not much to do, just waiting on Michael. Michael's get, uh, actually just went to Napty. Napty? Nap. I'm not sure how you. But I heard Joe and then he got muted. Very excited about. Now he's back. Fuck you, Joe. I, I won't bring Michael up then. Bye. You're much muted. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, wow. And. Everybody out there wonders why I drink. <laughs> Nobody wonders. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, what I am going to do is first say hi to Samantha Wagner. Hello, Sam. Hey, Samantha. And I'm going to bring up Michael now, and I'm just going to kindly Michael. tell hey, Michael. Hey, How's it going, man? I, LA I, traffic. I get it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All good. All good. <laughs> Unfortunately, he sent me some screenshots. That's quite a few for me to actually load up at once uh, this late into the program. I will see what I can do, and I'll let you guys talk. And George, introduce Michael so everybody knows what's going on, please. Thanks for doing that, Joe. I'm sorry for jumping, you know, dropping that at the last second there. I go, oh, I should add my act together, but... I go, wait. I, I should ask. I'm sorry. I should actually take this moment to interject and say, see, this is a good example of what line producers do to directors during production. 
and, and I'm still right. <laughs> hey, I know you've been planning this crane shot for 10 days, but I took away your crane today because you're a bad boy. You just need a bird. Find a bird and duct tape. You know, you know, little gaffers taping a crow. Get out of here. Take your phone and get on that roof and get your fucking shot. <laughs> it's one of those things. What can I say? Hey, my my beautiful wife is watching. Rebecca Romero. She is watching. Hello, so, Rebecca Romero. I'm thrilled Here's she's you. here. Meet you with through your name tag there. Always Scott? makes me happy when she oh, gets People are really digging you and me sitting down and talking, Michael. I think it's very cool, and I think it's become a, a really solid uh, piece of the brigade. So I want to thank you for dedicating so much time to us, man. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I was looking forward to it. I just thought uh, we'll have some good topics, and it hadn't occurred to me I could actually go um, and uh, talk about NatP. Um, and uh, I was going to send an update to the file, and then I think Joe actually sent me a Facebook message and went out of my head. It's entirely Joe's fault, but uh, so I, I couldn't do an article update. So I thought, you know, I could actually get <laughs> there. He's <laughs> got a logo. He's going to start selling shirts. You know, we we have actually we've got blamed. Look, there's the blamed Joe coffee mug. <laughs> That's Mine funny. is actually uh, sitting in the distribution center waiting. It was supposed to be here so I could have it on tonight's show, but it will, I will have it when we're back on Valentine's Day. Uh, <laughs> it'll be here Monday. We've got a whole line of merch up, uh, and a lot of it is actually a whole new uh, bunch of designs, and I'm, I'm, I'm dedicating a portion of all, all of those sales to trying to get the Veterans Compound uh, a little bit funded so we can get all of the, the, the T's dotted and the I's crossed. Oh, excellent. That's yeah. So, well, then we just yeah. need to blame Joe even more. Mm -hmm. I think that seems to be the, the metric and the motif of, uh, of uh, the merch. Look at that's a lot of M's I just threw in there. Well, and it's it really is the overarching message of the entire Indie Brigade that we want to get out to the world. <laughs> blame Joe. Blame, blame Joe. <laughs> You'll either get a real good sympathy vote or, or, or like hit in the bank line. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure which way that's going to go. <laughs> well, it's been a minute since you and I talked because you went to Miami, right? I went to Miami um, last – I flew in on Sunday, um, then kind of picked up my badge on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday. It continues to Thursday, but it's only like, um, like two or three sessions or something, so I flew out on Thursday. And on these um, – couple days here uh you learn a great deal um there's uh and also i want to let you know the viewers know i mean you go down there you sign up you register and you can do it on the cheap i stayed there at, um got an airbnb i think the rooms in the actual fountain blue hotel are 450 to 1280 dollars a night or something like that and um i could just do it on the cheap and you find him American Airlines, and uh, I think I got a round trip ticket for less than four hundred bucks. So, uh, but what do you, you know, what do you get out of that? Is um, a couple days there, and I, I loaded up the schedule, um, see what Joe's going to be able to do with that. But as you and I have talked, even when um, I talk about my son, he said wants to be in the film industry. I said, no, you don't. You want to be in the media industry. It's a significantly different thought. And I think Indie Brigades actually has got a pretty good uh, sentiment going on there because it's indie across the board and 
a brigade is something that uh, is flexible. And um, today, I mean, even I had a discussion today with somebody on the indie market, and uh, it seems to be so genre-driven, whether it's faith-based, science fiction, action, or something, that seems to dominate. Uh, so therefore, very genre-driven sales. But you can actually do things like make a feature that um, is, a, in essence, an elongated proof of concept for a TV show. And that's something to consider. I mean, if you really are practical or you want to be artsy, uh, you know, whatever you want to do. But I think that there's some merit in that if you're looking for uh, building uh, a career to have that thought process. Um, Nat P, uh, the, a couple days there were uh, um, very enlightening. We talked about um, some how the UK really is leading a great deal of quality television. Um, it's kind of the doorway to the continent in some ways, even with Brexit here going on. It's still um, high quality, uh, a different voice. I think that there's a standard American fare, uh, almost a cookie cutter you can see in American television. At least I can. I go, oh, it's a somebody did a find and replace on some crappy TV show, and now it's a new one. And there you go. And then and um that's that's what i'm seeing so when you see stuff over over there you see some unique voices and it's kind of nice that way i like that well you're talking about a matter of perspective and it's interesting because you and i have talked for hours and hours about this stuff but just the way different audiences watch things you know for instance you watch you don't watch content the way audiences watch content i don't watch no. content the way audience yeah. audience you, you know what I mean? Sure. It, it's impossible once you've seen behind the curtain to the degree that you have, um, you know, or even to the degree that I have, which is not even close to yours. Um, you know, uh, it's it's unbelievable how you look at the stuff that's made in America, that's made by the studios, made by the the networks, and you you literally can just see how they just take pieces and put them. It's like building blocks. And there's some guy in an office somewhere and he says, okay, we've got, you know, multicultural family a and multicultural family B and they live next to each other. And then what blocks are over here? Oh, there's, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, oh. and, and that's, that's all that it is. And, uh, you know, I think that's why things really stand out. And it's interesting that the UK is sort of leading that because, um, you know, I've always looked to the UK for a good standard of television style content. I mean, even back as far as shows like Lovejoy, I remember watching the original Lovejoy yeah. show. Yeah. You know, they've yeah. always kind of had something when it came to their episodics that America never really was able to achieve without, with, with the, with the rare exception, like the stuff on HBO and the gold standard. But, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting way to look at it and an interesting place to look for inspiration and you know anyway sorry no Andrew. no i i think you're right um you have a couple differences one is um you have uh, uh some stellar flagships here that have come out of the uk that people always remember and let's say in the last few years because the landscape you can't go back 10 years and 20 and 30 years it's pointless the uh indie market in the 90s was pumping and big and that was 25 years ago so this is a different world that we're in right now and 
if you look at Downton Abbey, and I uh, was talking to somebody there at NAPI, I believe, or uh, pretty sure it was there. And then what happened was is Downton Abbey was made. Then they came to Universal Studios, and they said, hey, we're going to sell this British show. Well, they were they so believed in the quality of it that it basically sold for equal to some American shows, which is a big deal. So you had this coming out of um, uh, the UK, and all of a sudden you have this whirlwind of a different uh, – you know, what's interesting is a little world that we nobody really had seen, this – uh, this moment in time between the imperial British world of Victoria, uh, which she had died uh, in 1901, I believe, and you have this world of the automobile and the phonograph, and, oh, we're getting electricity, and then, oh, there's this war coming up called World War One, and it, it was this huge cataclysmic time, and consequently the labor movement, etc. So you had uh, the, the servants might be their lifetime looking outward. Somebody learns to type and it becomes a career changer. And so from that point of view, that's a little world, not unlike Sons of Anarchy here, I think, where you go, nobody sees a biker world. So right. that was new. And you have nobody sees this little piece of, uh, of imper fading imperial nobility. But it actually uh, went out when they were selling the show and equaled. American shows, which was new. Yeah. So you had that. And then let's say the crown kind of falls into that um, uh, fascination, but at the same time, quality uh, Netflix, but at the same time, kind of adheres to that model. And um, it, interesting enough, uh, I was watching some British show and I watched like four episodes and I go, whoa. Where are the other episodes? When are they going to be released? And go, oh no, that was it. Yeah, that, that was done. Yeah, and they actually don't make a season two, and they just make these little quote unquote mini series, and yep. they're over with. Which is a different thing than we would pursue. They go, wow, that was a great first season. Where's your second season? And somebody here would absolutely rush to do it. Right? Hell, you couldn't even get a meeting unless you've got five. I just had a phone call this week about. Uh, some episodic stuff and it was like well we need five years of an idea you yeah know, five years laid out yeah and, you know, it, and it's it's crazy you know um and and you're right there's like there's the little uh agatha christie stories and 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 hercule Poirot stories and stuff that that are popping up all over amazon and the streaming services that are that they're these british things and then make three episodes and done yeah because they just use what they need to tell the story. Yeah. And they, don't, they don't say, well, we, we got to get everybody wearing Nike shoes in season four. That's right. Right. Now we're going to pump this and it has to be bigger and more. And I think the one topic was, uh, and I have not seen the show called Fleabag. Yeah. Apparently that's done very well, but I think it did six episodes. I looked it up. Six episodes, season one, six episodes, season two. So that's really 12, which constitutes one season in the u.s yep but uh there is there are no more episodes so yep. from a economic model of course you're looking at syndication rights you're no way near syndication rights right um you'll make sales it'll go on and then um but tyler perry let's go to uh, american entrepreneur in, in this media world 
Uh, I like his story because number one, he was such an underdog. And so he does his movie, Medea, unique idea. He does a play in Atlanta. It, it completely fails. He uh, keeps writing. He takes a year to fix it, comes back. It's a huge success. He also wrote on every ticket, Tyler Perry's Medea's Family Home or whatever the name of the film was. He put his name on the brand right away. Right. He didn't wait to become famous like, let's say, Neil Simon to say, uh, Neil Simon's Odd Couple. Sure. He started right off putting his name on there. And then here he is in Atlanta, which when he was really starting was more of a backwater than a mainstay of production as it is now. And now he's got a studio and he did, uh, I think it was called The House of Pain. Yeah. And he did 80 episodes in the first year. So he basically did four years in one year. So now he could take that and go right into syndication on year one. Yeah. And in syndication, as you know, people are like, yeah, 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 right, Cameron. I, re I really don't care how the storyline is. So it seems good. I saw one episode. Can I buy all 80 half-hour episodes? Right. Okay, next. Next, I'm on. I just bought a bunch of bushels of corn. I'm moving on because <laughs> yeah. I just filled up, uh, you know, five days a week, and then I'll repeat it and for two years, and that's it. Yeah. I, I'm literally just programming those little blocks. So um, I think some of that is influencing um, uh, television absolutely uh, around the world because they never used to have showrunners. Yeah. And I now know. they have show. I've got a long list of showrunners. There I am at Nappy. I just see it. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. Um, that's the lobby of the Fountain Blue Hotel. They have all, all these uh, video walls up, and it's rather extensive. Um, they, they, uh, the place, the venue is very, very good. They got a lot of meeting rooms there. It's right near the beach. Um, their future of television is here. Now this was kind of interesting because if you look at a few of these big wigs here, um, Laura Molin, who's there in the blue dress, uh, in the middle, more or less, she actually, if I read it right, is NPC universal. And she had some very insightful things because they're trying to gravitate from a traditional, um, AVOD network into a AVOD and streaming network. So that was very interesting to hear what uh, she had to say. Okay. And what you can do is you get all these kinds of people, like she's the vice vice president of marketing of NBC Universal. Right. So where else can you hear something like that and go up afterwards and go, how you doing? Can I have your card? I mean, there right. you go. Well, and you know what? Now's probably a good time to maybe, you know, I think we just kind of jumped into conversation like you and I always do. Do that. Um, maybe now's a good time for you to kind of maybe break down what NAPTI is. Sure. And, and and why you went there as who you are in the industry and what you do in the industry, why it was important to you. And, uh, and kind of just maybe break it down a little bit because what I, I think is important for people watching and listening <coughs> to know is that uh, this is a, 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 an actual industry event that does cost money and takes a lot of time, energy, and effort to get there. Um, it is not an unmanageable experience, but something that a lot of people may not be aware of, uh, number one, and may not have any idea why it would be important for them. But first of all, fuck you, Joe. <laughs> what? <laughs> I want some screen time. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what are people listening to? See? 
So you think some things in Hollywood never change. It's about the screen time. That's it, you know? That's it. So, That's it. Here at uh, the Romero Brigade podcast with your host, George C. Romero and Joe Ridgely, currently speaking with Michael Mandeville, freshly back from Napty. Is it Napty or Napty? Because if you look at it, it's it, the, the it's, it's, everybody says Napty, but it's Nat, it's Napty, right? Yeah. National Association of Television Programming Executives. So it's a pretty long-winded kind of term that they shortened to NATP. And for the most part, it would just basically be television programming executives. And then they kind of enveloped, oh, we have this thing called cable. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, we'll do that. And then you had DVDs and uh, um, uh, come out. So that was kind of a side area. But then when streaming hit, um, it really changed. And I think there's two... Two conferences, or, or three, I should say, that really are interesting to the, I'm going to say the Indie Brigade entrepreneur, shall we say, because you have streaming, which uh, is at various conferences in the U.S., uh, from New York to Los Angeles. You have NATP, which occurs in Miami, and then they're going to have one here in Los Angeles in July for a day. Um, NATP Miami is the main one. And then you have VidCon, which is really in June in Anaheim, about online video, which is very, very good as well. So those are the three. If you're an entrepreneur, now you're, you're really not going to, I think, go wrong trying to go to at least one or two or three of those um, because you're just going to meet people and you're going to hear what's happening at this given moment. What's interesting is that you can go to VidCon and see somebody um, – uh, and that's on uh, online video. It was recently bought. It started by the two um, two brothers. Um, uh, it's one of the guys that wrote The Fault in Our Stars, which they made into a movie. The Green Brothers. I think it's the yeah. Hank and Hank Green, I think is one of them. And so they've made some movies and they've uh, they started this uh, convention and it grew. And it was bought by Viacom last year. That's how big it got. Jeez. So they have VidCon Australia, VidCon Netherlands, I think, VidCon, Los Angeles. So, and there's Ron just saying it's great for the YouTube generation, right? And a lot of that YouTube generation spills into streaming. That's where they're looking for the talent to go, we need something new. Again, those executives that just do a find and replace on a script isn't cutting it. So the same thing's kind of spilling from, let's say, VidCon into NATP, that new people and new ideas, traditional, um, uh, whether it's AVOD, which is advertising on demand, or SVOD, subscription on demand. Right. And, on, and this year I thought was very interesting because you had a guy named doing, as you and I were speaking about, Pluto TV and Tubi, mm -hmm. right? So... I think it was the CEO name, uh, I want to say William Levinson or Kevin Levinson or something. Uh, whoever's the CEO, I think, of uh, Tubi was there. And he had a very interesting term called subscription fatigue. So by his, yeah, which actually, if you think about it, you say, well, I've got Amazon Prime and I've got Netflix and I'll get another one or two. And that's kind of the manageable limit. If you think about it, yeah. Um, but people are getting all of these little micro ones now. That your Disney Plus, your I mean, you've yep. got have, there's a DC one now. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's so many of them now. Plus your music ones, it's it's ridiculous. But your 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 streaming subscriptions can easily uh, 
dwarf your just regular cable bill nowadays. I, I think so. And I think, if, you know, if you're a parent and you're going to get Disney Plus right away, that's all there is to it. I mean, that's like, you know, or you're going to lose your mind. So they have the, the optimum place there to like put the kid in front of the TV or the screen or the whatever and just be covered. Right. So that one actually, uh, and I think they went out in within, um, what did they have, 10 million subscribers in two weeks or something? I like the day one. They had yeah, day two. one. But yeah. they, had, they came out with the Disney thing and the Mandalorian. So That's they had right, to, right, right, right. You know, and so, I mean, that was like a recipe for, printing money yeah yeah and that's and that's exactly what it is and so it's what seven bucks a month more or less for the year or something like that so what are you at like uh 70 million dollars a month and i mean they actually mm -hmm. get a valuation of it and according to all if they they, they did a valuation of disney took away all the theme parks everything except the cable and the valuation was that the cable outfit um somebody was speculating was worth 106 billion dollars already good lord now that's because they dumped what how many twenty thousand hours of content plus the signups plus the future plus you know the potential so but even in that to be what's interesting is that people talk about subscription fatigue um but um uh so when you go there, going back to your question, I want us to derail too much here, and I'll try not to. Do that about Sorry. Sorry, it's <laughs> you and I will do that all day long. So I got I'll be more guarded here for your your viewers and your audience. Um, but so when you're in this world of the streaming, whether it's VidCon streaming or NatP, it's about TV, it's about streaming, uh, and about the model that's changing. Now, what's interesting. Somebody pitched a, a, you go there and you have different kinds of shows. Now you're doing it, you're woodworking. You and I talk about woodworking. Mm -hmm. One thing that was a good takeaway was the idea of formats. So if you have a format of a show that's rep, you can replicate to other territories, this is a very fascinating element. And I've got three of those. Uh, the beauty about that is if you have a show and you could take it and, and indeed make it a success and replicate it, you get paid for each territory that it's used in. So if a show on woodworking might play well in Indonesia, uh, as well as let's say some, you know, five, six countries in South America and Europe and wherever, Cameron's going to make money from each of those shows in a readily recognizable format. That's right. So this is a, this is a great opportunity because at the same time, you're building uh, um, a brand of the woodworking show or whatever it happens to be. So I said in a couple sessions like that, and we're hitting kind of an interesting golden age of documentaries. A number of people have used that term, but I think right now there is definitely a hunger for nonfiction content. I think it's because so much of the fiction content we've seen in either features or TV um, seems somewhat forced to me. Uh, well, we need, and and you know, like I said, it's genre driven, so I understand that. But um, I think sometimes people, why, why, why are how-to and do-it-yourself videos so popular? People like to improve themselves. And I think they get that out of nonfiction that they can't get out of fiction in many, many cases. Well, yeah. And, you know, it, uh, hang on a second. What, Joe? 
Uh, I don't know. You guys get on my case constantly that we don't pay attention to any of the questions or statements. So I figured I would not interrupt and poli politely wait until you guys came up for air to try to hit some of those. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm fine, Joe. Fine, fine. Go ahead. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm trying to act annoyed. I can't be annoyed, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some very valid points on here. Wheels is saying, you know, CBS has their own streaming service and they have Picard on there, but it was just found for free on Pluto TV. You know, that's that's a good question, because I uh, I think a lot of people. Um, I think it's going to go more towards Ava because of the uh, subscription fatigue, and that was indeed something somebody brought up a number of times. So. Well, Avod is the whole cornerstone of the, the the indie brigade distribution model. The dean, yeah, uh, I you and I spoke about that. Yeah, so I mean, this is really something that we should dive into. I wish Dean was uh, on tonight to jump into this conversation too. Well, um, I, I definitely think um, when they cross pollinate, you're going to pick up viewers that are going to be on Pluto that you might not get on the. Uh, you said CBS, right? Yes. Yeah, but it's on their CBS uh, All Access thing, which is their own paid right. subscription base. Yeah. So I mean, and how does it how does it even end up on they? You know, when you're dealing with CBS, it's gotta they've gotta there's gotta be a, a legitimate way it showed up on something like Pluto TV, unless Pluto's starting to stream. Well, you know, they could have also seeded two episodes. I don't know how many episodes are up there, so uh, that'd be a good one for your to ask your associate. Oh yeah, that's actually a really good point. They probably did put up one or two for free. One or two episodes. Yeah, like a drug dealer. Yep. Yeah. You want yeah. some Picard? Can you uh, you want some more Picard? Now you got to pay. <laughs> now you got to cough up the dough. That's right. <laughs> we got Klingons to pay off. You know? <laughs> Two, here's one. Tubi is crushing Netflix and Hulu regarding low-budget indie films. It is huge and is going to get much bigger because no subscription fatigue. Yep. That's exactly that's exactly the point. That's exactly where what we're talking about. Um, that's right. With our distribution mm -hmm. model and what Michael's bringing up right now with the Avod stuff. And they got twenty, I think twenty thousand hours or twenty thousand movies, whereas Netflix is ten thousand. Yeah. So that's that's a significant player, and you know when it comes to economizing, and, and I mean I don't know how many times I uh, see something in the theater and go, oh, it'll be out on Netflix or someplace soon enough anyway. Sure. There's very few times I want to go to the theater. They actually said the average person goes to the theater in the U.S. I think 5.4 times a year or something like that, or 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 maybe even less, which is not a lot. Um. And I've, I've had this more, more and more, this phenomenon where I watch and I will see something new, but I'm not intrigued enough to actually watch it. I'll look at the title and I'll go, oh, that's kind of interesting. I'll look at the idea and I'll go, okay, but I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> right. But see how much of that is from the fact with, you know, what you and I have seen and been around for so long of our lives and careers. I can read a synopsis and I can basically judge the budget based on the artwork and some of the screenshots. And I can say, okay, uh, it's about a talking pizza who partners up with a New York detective. And, you know, I get it. I get the whole movie. I get Shoot, what it is. I just wrote that script. <laughs> <laughs> you know, featuring Sam Elliott as the voice of the pizza. <laughs> That's right. You know, and I'm good. <laughs> the end of my pepperoni. Uh, I, uh, I, I I think that's true, and I think um, 
you know, uh, when you when you look at, um, sorry, I got my cat here, and he's just indefatigable. He's like worse than an indie actor. Um, <laughs> but subscription services, so he gets subscription fatigue. That's right. That's exactly. <laughs> it. That's exactly it. But he's uh, we got the two new two new cats and. They're just uh, capturing us. So they're... while you have cat problems, JP was saying uh, do-it-yourself stuff like Sean and I are doing are also more relatable to he meant the common person. I think uh, that's true. I think JP is right because uh, for I, I can give you an example here. And I mean, I was really grateful for this when I, I took my car in. And this is the power of YouTube, of course. I took my car in and um, uh, the key and the ignition. I'd have to crank it and kind of turn it and still wouldn't turn the car over. So I take it into the guys at the uh, uh, the dealer dealership just to get at least some kind of an average here. And, and the guy goes, yeah, 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 it'll, uh, it'll be uh, $13.80 to take apart the steering column and fix it. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I'm like, you fucking assholes. You know, I mean, I'm just, like, pissed off. I'm like, $13.80. Go online. I research the, uh, the issue. Um, for an hour, I find this video that shows how you take apart the steering um, housing on the ignition. Uh, you pull out the receptacle of the key. You basically get a um, the end on a drill bit, like a metal. Um, you you probably know the term, but it's a a small piece that allows you to file something off. Sure, a drill. It's like a drill bit, but it's got like a a file on it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like yeah. a grind wheel or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I bought that for 10 bucks. I ground off a quarter of an inch, put it back together, put it on, done. 90, 91 minutes. I, I actually timed myself. Yeah. So you had to be careful, but it was worth a shot. So yeah. I think all those things, especially with people who like to go, I like to do things because I like to be a little self-reliant. I think it hits a base emotion, not escapism, but some degree of self-reliance. So when you look at it, the topics, and I, I uploaded some of the schedule there uh, for Joe to see, uh, and, uh, to share if possible. Um, so if you look at it, some of the stuff you have, documentary leadership, keynote panel, nonfiction, content revolution, the future of free. That's exactly Adam Le Le uh, Lewinson. That was the guy at Tubi. He was the CEO. So the CEO of Tubi is there trying to make plans to you know do some, some content. Um, uh, global buyers. Now, these are people that buy a lot of nonfiction. They buy a lot of fiction and nonfiction. And um, here, launching original content when it's not on TV. So that's mo Google YouTube, which is a good platform to jump off of, obviously. You get some wacky stuff. The bolder side of daytime TV with Maury Povich and Jerry Springer. I'm sure there's a couple of fist fights there. But... <laughs> You know, some, couple, some chairs getting thrown across the uh, across the audience or something. <laughs> but they were there's a there's a huge audience for do it yourself uh, material and and nonfiction material. And well, yeah, and and you know it's funny. I know uh, JP and I know Sean uh, very well. Sean actually uh, and uh, Sean Smithson and Smithson Creations actually sponsors Ian Steyer's blog. Uh, the devil is into details, which is part of the brigade. Oh, but, nice. But the stuff that you're to, and you know, I just want to delineate here and break this down even a little bit further, which, uh, oh, surprise, I'm going to find a tangent for us, Michael. Oh, um, sure. <laughs> sure. You're talking about the DIY stuff that is sort of problem based, right? So, 
uh, like for a while, it used to be if you wanted to boost your numbers and boost your SEO, um, you needed to address uh, sort of like what you're talking about. I've got a problem. I've got a 2007 Hyundai whatever um, issue with my gas tank exploding. And so there's your there's your question you type into YouTube and that that populates that sort of list of questions and the types of things like that. And that was a way that people were hacking sort of SEO for a while and figuring it out. But that's that's the kind of DIY that you're talking about is learning how to solve a problem. And then the other type of DIY stuff that JB is talking about that he and Sean are doing is not only about that kind of stuff, but it's about appealing to a very niche market, just like the car stuff does, but doing it in a way that um, is not, I, I don't even, it's not necessarily a continuing education, but it's more of a, um, more of a, almost a community feel. Like when you're dealing with something like woodworking, when you're dealing with cars, it's here's how to fix an issue. When you're dealing with woodworking, it's here's how to be a part of a community and show you what my grandfather showed me. And then you'll show me what your grandfather yeah. taught you. And we're going to sort of grow as a community together that way. Yeah, I kind of feel like those are two different, two oh, different absolutely. similar paths on the DIY thing. And I wonder how that was addressed at NAPTI, NAPTI. Oh, that's a great question. I mean, especially when you say local and community, there was a whole section there that, um, which I found fascinating because I think there's where I pick a certain kind of a trend. And I actually, I'm always fascinated with trends. So people are more interested in, let's say, gold right now. A lot is repatriated over the last three or four or five years to from the Bank of um, New York or, or, or London back to their countries, Serbia, Germany, all these countries. So there's some economic shift. Uh, another one was, de I think, decentralization. You get this uh, globalized sensibility, but at the same time, people don't have to solve problems locally. Uh, people care more, well, what's the potholes in my street? Uh, I don't care about them in Sacramento or some other city because... I drive on my streets. Same with the police, fire, education, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a great uh, deal of uh, mentioning the fact that things are going to be more and more localized. And there was an entire panel about that. So how do you dive into now by local has an interesting thing because one guy said, look, I have a group of people that, and I'm trying to remember the skill. I think it had to do with more with sculpting, but he mentions, Sculptors are all around the world, but when you put them all together, they're in one neighborhood. So with your woodworking, it's similar. You have this community of woodworkers or sculptors or filmmakers, whatever it is, this tribal localization, uh, even though it comes from a global outreach, it's localized on this data board. But um, uh, the one panel also talked about local news. How do people just deal with things locally? And they were really ramping that up. So people read international news, but um, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm on a little group called nextdoor.com. I don't know if you know about it, but essentially you sign up in your neighborhood and you can find out what's going up in your city or your neighborhood. And so if somebody has a crime issue or a tax thing or, or a helpful hint or a garage sale, whatever it is, but it's all local. And it's become very popular, I think. Really? Uh, yeah. And we so, have little like neighborhood Facebook groups and people post up like there's some man running down the street, bring your gun. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Show up fast, right? Yeah. Fast <laughs> as I could type. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. Turn right. You're live. Turn right. Turn left. Uh, I mean, that's essentially the same uh, metric. Uh, I think people do that and they get support. And uh, a lot of times people ask about, you know, might seem mundane issues, but it's real about um, um, apartments, friends, references, babysitters. I mean, all sorts of stuff. So it's a little bit of a Craigslist. Uh, neighborhood Craigslist, I guess, might be a good way to put it. But if you, you know, circling back to Natpe, who who has something they need on that venue that could be served by content? Can somebody say, here, I've already checked out this local store, so I did a video on it, a, re a review. I don't know if that would get more clicks. I mean, there's, there's opportunities there, and that's why I think going to Natpe is kind of interesting, or talking about uh, the, the woodworking community, the niche that you have, and in the niches there are riches, as one of the say sayings goes that a lot of people liked uh, That's right. bringing that up. But you get a, I think you get a couple things you don't get off a cursory movie watch. You get devotion. Uh, the and it, it's kind of like you could say, how many followers are there in the woodworking niche? And again, on, on YouTube or you know, how many niches are there on that? I mean, millions, millions, millions. literally millions, literally millions. It's second largest. Is it the second or third largest search engine is Google? Uh, I think Google, YouTube, and then Amazon. Yeah, I think, I think YouTube might at one point have beat, have surpassed Google, but I don't, I think it's probably like one of those. Something right in there, right? I mean. But, well, okay. So here's a question for you, sure. and I'm curious if if your trip to to Nappy offered you any insight on this. And this is bringing up the localization combined with the DIY stuff. So now we've talked about DIY content, different various types of DIY content, and this localized sort of audience and viewing community. This this localization of globalization, right? Um, so, but that's for DIY. How? How do you do that with original content that isn't educational, right? So how do you do original um, narrative content, scripted content, right? And how do you bring that into that localized niche well, of the entire world? Sure, sure. Um, Nappy, I think, was going to have, and I mentioned three conferences, streaming, VidCon and Natpe. And I bring those all three together because I think they serve different points of entry. They have different experiential levels. Um, uh, if you're going to fly to Miami and go meet these people, it's more formalized traditional TV structure, branching into streaming, uh, open to entrepreneurial bents a little uh, on a scale of one to 10, maybe a four. Okay. If you go to VidCon, well, it's really entrepreneurial online video, period. That's entirely its focus. Not even television, really. So, so that's like how to get content on YouTube and monetize it and stuff like that. Yes. Uh, and I mean, YouTube, what's the techniques you use? What is one guy was great because he said, look, if I'm going to put in material, uh, and you can go uh, to VidCon. It's the cheapest of the conferences, too, by the way. It's right next to Disneyland, basically. It's the Anaheim Convention Center. I think it's $200 for four days. You can't get wow. cheaper than that. Yeah, no. Um, the parking is $800 a day, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> but you get one Disney ride with that Disney ride, and you know you be happy then. So, um, but it's um, you pay for that. But at the same time, if you go to those, uh, which is coming up in June, uh, like I said, they deal specifically with what your question is: uh, scripted content. And how do you gain an audience? And many times, you know, it is going to be that, that outreach. For example, I did a show. I've got 10 episodes now. They're short-form content, 12 minutes. Beer Pong Coach. Okay? Yeah. So Beer Pong Coach. In fact, you know, I'm going to see. I wonder if I could send that to Joe. I'll, I'll share. Let's see if I, I got the poster here. I'll see if I can share it. While you're doing that, I'm going to just tell Paul that we're going to get to his question in a second. He has a good question. He, any advice on pitching original content to these places? Absolutely. So we will get to that, but I don't want to derail you. Um, I will say that, um, uh, you know, if you're going to do online content, I would tend to say that you want to go to VidCon to try and promote it. Now, one guy would say, uh, I'll give you one example. He said, look, I'm going to promote this content. Um he gave me a couple ideas. I took pictures, uh, photographs of behind the scenes and some um, staged shots of the actors. Then I'm going to take them and make some memes that are actually going to be them in a comic book format and send those around. Now, it could be highly topical. What's happening uh, today about, um, um, uh, you know, uh, um Canceling flights to China. I don't want to get flippant about a very serious matter, but at the same time, let's say airport frustration might be it. Sure. If a couple of my, you know, characters are in this comic book format, now I could send that around and see where it gets passed and people know, oh, it's Beer Pong Coach. Well, I should go check that out. And so you start to get this kind of sense of guerrilla marketing. Uh, it's not unlike with Steve McAvity that did The Passion of the Christ and We Were Soldiers and... Um, uh, tons of great movies. He said, I don't need producers. I need producers who know how to market. Right. Big difference. So if you're just thinking you're going to deliver and hand deliver it, that's 20% of the game. The other 80% is getting it out there and marketing it and getting the audience. That's right. One guy also said, if you're going to put out this content, have a color code. So he would use, I think, red for his... Um, his entertainment content yet he would use blue for his technology discussions his kind of uh, do-it-yourself stuff or other things like that sure he'd also pay to get a unique font he goes man people have not seen this font before so now i have a unique way of catching somebody's eye right and so that's some of the advice you can kind of get with some of those people um I think getting on the wave of a trend, you know, whether it tends to be uh, uh, Twitter or capturing that at the moment means that you are, you're not serving it up to be, you have two parts. You have the content that you're making that you know you have to shoot, edit, post, you know, music, credits, and get it out there. And that could be a month, six weeks, um, whatever. Then you actually have the part where you're promoting it, which could be done in the trend at the moment. So if I can actually, you know, take airport frustration, then that starts to circulate with the headlines. And sure. that's one, one way they were talking about. Be prepared to have a marketing campaign that's not static, that kind of catches the wave. Yeah. And and basically uh, figure out how to get that at the top of whatever's trending currently. Yeah. So 
yeah. So you're talking about, um, you know, making your content the way you're going to make it, but you're talking about almost that subversive marketing. Uh, Absolutely. Guerrilla subversive marketing. You know, it's like, um, you know, people don't talk about this a lot, but one of the companies that we mentioned that has that streaming service with 10 million on day one used to uh, pay artists. I don't know if they still do, but they used to pay artists to do like anti-Disney stuff. So if you oh, ever really? Yeah, if you ever saw any like big production lines of say like a Mickey Mouse thing with like a pierced ear or oh yeah, you know I mean? like those were actually subsidized by the big by the by the rat. Uh, oh, was, like, and and that was always one of my favorite stories about subversive marketing was that they did this kind of stuff because they actually penetrated the subculture and the anti Disney culture uh, without people even by people thinking they were saying fuck you. They were actually, you know, buying into some guy in their marketing department sitting in the basement going, no, let's pay the people who hate us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's, that's not kind a surprise, of what, is it? <laughs> no, but that's kind of what we're talking about. So basically, you know, you take elements of what you've done and you you jump on that viral trend and you basically push to try to get viral. So there's almost an influencer side of being a content creator nowadays. And you've got to figure out how to be on the front of that wave. Absolutely. Uh, and that wave is always changing. It's always moving. It's all, it's always a new wave, no matter what it is. Every 15 minutes in the fucking news today is, yeah. a, different, is a different sky is falling moment. Right. So, That's I mean, there's, true. <laughs> you know, you can sit there all day if you want to promote something and just hashtag it with whatever's trending is what it sounds like you're well, saying. To if, 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 let's say your woodworking show, and sure. um, uh, you have that, and that has a. I would tend to say woodworking falls amongst um, one of the crafts that is timeless because you have wood, stone, textiles, glass, metal, right? I mean, and in France, when I was in Paris, I, I was very pleased to go, and you would love this museum, but you actually go to a museum and tour that has those crafts when they have to restore a church or something like a castle to the 14th, 12th, 13th, 15th century, they have to maybe make the table like it was made in the 14th, 15th century. So yeah. how do you do that? You do it by getting a part of this group. Um, I can't think of the name of it right off, but it's, it's like an academy. And then you will actually go, uh, you being a woodworker, would spend um, a year or two going around to all the different apprenticing with yeah. all these different woodworkers in France to learn their techniques. Mm -hmm. So when Notre Dame burned, it's a horrible moment, a horrible time, they're going to use many of those people to restore it to its glory, uh, ideally, through this craft. Now, what's yep. interesting, you would love the museum because they recreate everything from shoes to glass to locks to... Uh, weaponry to uh, I mean some of the most arcane pieces you're you're like wow that's that's stunning yeah I would love to see see a place like that and it, it was absolutely amazing and um, but if you go there you actually now have to take woodworking and and come up with like woodworking humor for today's headline right and you say well um, you know, might be something like, well, um, I think, uh, you know, that politician needs to grow some wood and we know how to cut, <laughs> you know. That's the best part about woodworking is so easy to go below the belt with your comedy. That's it. It's <laughs> such a good cheap shot that, 
<laughs> and immediately you you get the whole man crowd, you know, like jumping into that one. Yeah, yeah, you know, and then you can capitalize on all the other stuff that's you know it's all toxic and everything, right? Because Absolutely. I'm toxically masculine because I made it a woodworking joke that references a fucking male erection. Yeah, that's right? exactly right. Yeah, you know, <laughs> hey, I see you just got a splinter there, buddy. When the guy's looking below his belt, and you know. You know, I mean, you got options that are just extraordinary. So you draw people in in that way. And I mean, people get that connectivity. And uh, I think that's a one great way to market stuff. Well, listen, I want to get to Paul's question here sure. because we got about five minutes left here. Okay. Uh, any advice on pitching original content to these places? Uh, you know, Paul, it's interesting because some of the places we've been talking to, like, are talking about, uh, like the Tubi and the Pluto, they're not places you really have to go pitch content that hasn't been made to yet. They're places you take your content when it's done. But in terms of pitching some of the places that I'm, I'm sure that's a large part of what Michael actually experienced and learned a lot about at NAPI this year, um, because some of the people there had to talk, there had to be panels and conversations about how to pitch these guys, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I went up and pitched a few of them and I had a card. I'm trying to see where I have it here. Um, but I had a little card, and what I would do is go up to the guys at uh, Digital, which is what I was concentrating on for Beer Pong, as an example, and I could go up and actually see the vice president of Digital at Lionsgate or uh, Sony Television and all these people, and they are open to pitching. What's interesting is the guy who is named uh, Anthony Zucker, right? Now, this is the guy that created the CSI franchise. Mm -hmm. He shows up, and he has a – and I, I sent one of those um, – the schedule to uh, Joe there. It's one of the uh, uh, images, but it was like pitching, making the perfect pitch with Anthony Zucker. So he actually said, he goes, look, if you've got an idea, I'm around, I'm out in the hallway, just stop me and pitch me your idea. You know? And he basically, you know, somebody says, well, what can you do if you take the idea? He goes, well, I guess you're just going to have to get the vibe off me. Am I, am I going to be a good guy and like know that you told me the idea and we'll maintain, you know, start something here. Um, you're going to take that risk. There's always a risk. However, if you do pitch something, what you can do is go to Frappa, which I can't remember. It's like the format, it's a nonfiction show or a fiction show, probably nonfiction more or less. Then you can actually take your format and register it like at the Writers Guild or the U.S. Copyright Office. So now a lot of the people that are uh, buying formats in other countries will see if Frappa, if you've registered your show there, they know that you put it on the radar that it's your show, your format, and they're less likely to go around you to steal the idea. It's easier just to buy the format than be ostracized by their fellow uh, um, uh, media producers. Yeah. So, but when you're in Nappy, and you can go up to a fair number of these people to do this. I think that they, your viewers also getting to the question where how many times can you call up William Morris Endeavor or somebody and go, I've got an idea without having an agent. And that, of course, is the issue. I think the way to do that is to try and see if you can say, can I just submit through my lawyer as your representative? So if your brother-in-law, if your brother-in-law likes you, obviously, otherwise he'll be a, a real dick when he calls up the agent <laughs> Make sure he likes you before you know you use your use someone like that. <laughs> but he could actually try and do that submission. But yeah. and that piece entirely. Uh, I did it probably fifteen times. 
So well, it's interesting too because you're right. If you've got somebody who you can use as a lawyer, you know, a lot of these places will say we only accept submissions through agents or representation or managers or yeah. whatever. But they say that word representation, and your lawyer is a representation of you. Yeah. So you and a lot of people don't realize that. And if your lawyer is not necessarily primarily an entertainment lawyer, might not know how to do it, they can at least call up and say, "Hey, uh, I'm calling to to figure out what I need to do to make a submission on behalf of my client." And yeah. they'll tell your lawyer. A lot of times your lawyer will call you up and say, hey, they said this. I don't really know what it means. And then you can kind of, again, if if your lawyer's kind of a dick or you guys don't get along, you can kind of be like, well, I'll tell you if you knock a little bit off the fee, you're going to charge me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because you're helping them learn something as well. And uh, and then they go they go make that submission for you to those to the bigger places, right? Absolutely. Unless, but, but what you're saying is that, you know, one of the things that that's worth the price of admission to these conferences is the fact that these guys are willing and open to just you walking up to them and saying, Hey, I got a, I got a show. I got a pitch. Yeah. I've got something I want to share with you. And I, I did that to a couple non, uh, a beer pong coach and a nonfiction show called uh, needs to bake, which is about special needs, people baking for self-reliance and, and building self-confidence, which is a nice, nice idea. Right. I mean, not unlike you helping the vets with woodworking, etc. So, I think there's positive attributes there. And so these people were open to these kinds of things. Um, there was one show I thought it was great. And I'm, uh, I'm trying to remember what, uh, oh, these women, there's these four women on this panel and they talked about formats. One was Haley Blaylock. I remember her and she, she was at a, um, I don't know if it was NBC or something, but it was uh, a, high, a fairly well-known company. And, What's interesting is uh, uh, that they were talking about how do you pitch people and how, how, how do you get in there. And sometimes it's that middle-level group. Uh, it's not necessarily going to NBC. It's finding out who works with NBC and is already doing two of their shows or three. And then what you do is you go to that company called you know XYZ123 Media. And by going to those guys, they're going to be a little more open to something. And therefore, they'll be, oh, yeah, that is a really good idea. Oh, you register with Frappa. Okay, and you've got a really good pitch deck. You don't think you're going to get a million dollars for the first sale, which is right away gets people knocked out of the box because you're completely unrealistic on what's achievable in this very competitive field. Um, and that actually is a good intro because NBC would trust XYZ123 Media, whatever that company is, and they say, well, we know you guys have our quality and you will you can get the job done. You won't be a new guy not knowing what's going on. You can't deliver. It's about delivery. Yeah. Can you deliver the final product is a, such a huge overriding question to so many of these executives because they're going to put money out and then put their reputations on it and then it's not going to happen. They're in trouble. That's right. That's right. And for those who are watching and are curious about FRAPA, it stands for the Format Recognition and Protection Association. That's it. And it's FRAPA.org, F-R-A-P-A.org. Uh, if you've got a series or an episode that you are looking to go out and pitch, um, these are the kind of gems of wisdom that you will get from talking and listening to uh, Mr. Michael Mandeville. I'm telling you, he he throws stuff out and uh, it's up to you to catch it because he, he is giving you guys gold here. If you've never heard of Frappa, if you've never been to the website, uh, seriously pay attention and listen the fuck up. <laughs> so, 
Uh, listen, Michael, with that said, as usual, um, I feel like we're having to cut this short, even though we are very capable of going very long here. Um, so listen, next time, uh, yeah. hoping there'll be a next time, hoping there'll be a next time again, as always, I miss you. I, I love you. I love that we get to sit and talk and look at each other. I've really enjoyed our, uh, our reconnecting here after, you know, this last year or so, and this has been great and a lot of fun and I'm really enjoying it a lot. Yeah. Me too, and I'm thrilled to have you part of the brigade. Um, and uh, and then you've got some stuff coming up, right? You've got actually a seminar you're doing. I'm actually going to do a seminar at Stage 32, and it has to do with line production, and um, that's February 6th. And uh, how you, it's called generally filmmaking with a calculator. So, what are the elements that one thinks about when you inevitably get your film? And somebody says, "Well, I've got six million, but your current budget is." uh seven how are you going to make those changes to darn it one way or the other get your film made so that's february 6th with stage 32 and um in the meantime i'm also getting some projects ready because i've got some uh, just distribution associates who are going to be at berlin in uh, late february take out a couple things there kind of a you'd like this one thing i'm working on it's like the dirty dozen meets lone survivor <laughs> I already love it. I know. It's, 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 <laughs> I'm writing the humor in there. So it's uh, it's really great. And I, that's set in Morocco, where in the U.S. it would be $13 million to shoot more or even more, 13 or 14 In Morocco, it could be six. And I got 10 more tanks. I got an artillery brigade. I've got a helicopter in Morocco. Not even I can't even afford it here. I think that we need to dedicate a whole conversation to this this topic, to shooting outside the country, shooting where it's cheap. Shooting. Yes. Absolutely. So let's put that on the books as something we'll talk about. Well, here. One thing I'm going to have to ask, though, because Terry is here right now. Hey, Terry. <clears throat> Terry. There, there's a drone behind Michael, and Terry is our drone guy. So, Terry, identify the drone if you're an expert. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh got a couple of people that want to say thank you to michael for being on thank we you, got jp we've got libby libby thank and her husband libby. matter great um well we got some muscles going so and we got our buddy scotty so thank you scotty appreciate it you are just spectacular and again a wealth of information so well, I'm glad you guys enjoy it. I always enjoy talking to you guys, and I'm uh, I'm I'm really glad to share with people because it's kind of this. It, it's it's more like a military campaign. You have to kind of you 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 can plan the battle, but you don't want to battle the plan. You have to say, "Wow, I'm getting some more information here I wasn't aware of," and and that's a unique area. And if you really want to work in media, you find places where you're going to make money so you can play the long game. Yeah, you know, you hope for hope for a good spike here of of stardom, something or other. Terry is right; it's the DJI Phantom series. Um, <laughs> but you can you can work on that, but at the same time, have some way to make money and find your enthusiasm, and um, don't ignore the other formats. In many in many cases, uh, there's uh, three three nonfiction formats. I'm going to ramp up. I think they're all going to be great format shows, and why not? And once they start running. It's it's like a little machine. That's right. So That's right. like the indie brigade is starting to take on its own. That's right. You know, I mean, what started out as as me and Joe having a, a, a conversation has 
has started to take on a, a pretty impressive life here that I'm thrilled with and proud of. And, you know, if we play our cards right, man, we're, we're going to turn this into a movement, not just a podcast. Absolutely. I think that's great. There's yeah. great, 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 great opportunities these days. Great potential. It's um, well, you guys should be at uh, think about going to VidCon because you're already thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So well, and you know it's funny because the conversations that you and I have on here, if people could listen to the conversations you and I have on the phone, they go on for hours and they they're like this, but they're just back and forth of stuff, and it's crazy. And I'm just so happy to get to share this kind of experience with everybody, and that you're you're willing to do it with you know I would known you for so long now and i'm just so so proud to learn from you and to talk with you, oh, thank and, you. that's very kind you know, i think that we vibe on so many things and i'm looking forward to just I'm looking forward to everybody getting an opportunity to kind of benefit from the conversations that we have back and forth man absolutely count yeah. me in <laughs> awesome. so anybody listening if there's something that you want to learn more from uh michael about or me about and want to go into some serious detail detail uh, feel free to head over to romeropictures.com slash mentors and book some time with one of us. Uh, we're happy to go into a little more private detail with you guys if there's anything you want to talk about. Um, they're not fan sessions. They're not pitch sessions. They are uh, for legitimate questions, legitimate stuff you need help with, legitimate stuff you need help figuring out, and stuff that you might need people to mentor you through. We're here to help. Sounds uh, good. Yeah, so that's it, I guess, right? Thank you so much, Michael. Have you a got good it, Cameron. Joe, right. thank you very much, guys. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. 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 Wow. I mean, a wealth of information, no doubt about it. I'm telling you, man, from the time Michael and I met in L.A. and uh, a buddy of ours introduced us and said, hey, I think you guys should meet. I think you'll have something to talk about. Well, like three and a half, four hours later, uh, at the bar at this place called Guido's. Um, the buddy who introduced us was like, uh, well, I'm going to leave, guy." <laughs> <laughs> and it's just been like that with him. And he's one of those guys that even though life gets in the way sometimes and we don't talk for several months sometimes, when we do pick up the phone, it's like we just talked yesterday, you know? Nice. So it's cool. What do you want now besides the fact to, uh, that you're listening to the Romero Pictures Indie Brigade podcast with your host, George C. Romero and Joe Ranchley. Yeah, I wanted you to do that a half hour ago. <laughs> I did. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> well, fuck you, Joe. Close enough. Uh, <laughs> I got the list pulled up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh, so Joe's going to read a list of where you can find the Indie Brigade uh, podcast with your host, George C. Romero. And again, for those that don't want to see our mugs, we uh, are syndicated on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, TuneIn, Radio Public, and Breaker, and more to come. Boom. Was that my radio voice or no? I don't know. <laughs> and no, we, do, we do have Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. Facebook, and for those that are listening and watching on YouTube or just listening or watching on Facebook, go to YouTube, hit the subscribe button. It helps us out immensely. Yes, please. And uh, don't forget to go to RomeroPictures.com, sign up for the newsletter. You'll get 10% off the merch store, uh, any, I think, on your first purchase. So. Uh, and last but not least, you have, I don't know, an hour and 20 minutes left for the trailer vest. Oh, shit. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. 
Um, yeah, the deadline, the final deadline for all submissions for the very first Romero Pictures Indie Brigade Trailer Fest, our online film festival for trailers only, is midnight tonight. So get your submissions in. Uh, if you've been planning on it and you've been procrastinating, you're out of time. This is it. It's almost too fucking late. So get your shit in. We've got some really good trailers that have been submitted. Um, we're doing some very cool uh, prizes, uh, including a very cool uh, camera box uh, that I am that I designed myself based off of uh, one that I used to have and ones that I've used over my life and career. Uh, and the first place is going to get one of those. And uh, then uh, the other prizes are other cool shit. Oh, so apparently you should be doing audio books. <laughs> and Thanks, I'm no buddy. Art Bell. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh what else uh, i i think that's it uh you want to take us out yeah sure i can't thank everybody enough for paying attention and sticking with us through another episode of romero pictures indie brigade podcast with your host george c romero and joe ranchley and uh i guess that's it so fuck off till next time bye